In the last episode, we discussed God's sovereignty over the global COVID-19 pandemic. We also looked at what Luther faced in the 1500s when a pandemic came to Wittenberg and how we should respond biblically to pandemics because they may come again in our lifetime. We also discussed how churches are currently navigating through it. We really hope that we get back together very soon and that all 50 states will be seen as an essential institution, not just the marijuana shops and Planned Parenthood, but the church is really what's essential. This episode, we tackled the million-dollar question. This question has been debated all throughout the ages, and professing Christians have stepped on one side of the aisle or the other on the proverbial line drawn in the sand. Much of this stems from one's interpretation of Scripture. However, we know that God never speaks out of both sides of his mouth. What is the question in question? I'm so glad you asked. Can a born-again believer lose his or her salvation? Join us today as we take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I'm thinking, McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It, a podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. Let me just give you a quick update on our Soul Fishing Ministries website. It is up and running. We are still going to be adding more content to it. We have about two articles up there right now. And if you go for no other reason right now, hot off the press, we have daily devotionals, mostly written by my buddy Evans Olong from Kenya. And I normally call him the, uh, the Kenyan prayer prince, which he hates when I say it. And he's going to hate it this time as well. But uh, the devotions are going out. They are strong. They're good. And you'll be blessed. You can sign up for them uh, if you so choose and have them emailed right into your email box. They're very short. You can read them in about two to three minutes and have a good kind of like a hot cup of coffee for your day through a biblical devotion. So we're looking forward uh, very soon to adding another blog engine to it with all kinds of quotes in the different aspects of the phishing acronym, as well as connecting our newsletter to it, and eventually having a store where you can buy all kinds of merch from us and display the gospel on hats, on mugs, on shirts, and so on and so forth. But today we are tackling, once again, the question on can a born-again believer lose his or her salvation? Now, I think we always need to start with defining our terms. When we say a born-again believer, what do we mean, Glenn? What are we looking at? Someone who went forward to an altar and recited words that someone told them to parrot after them. Is that what we're talking about? And signed a card. Phil, you, why, why does it seem like you're coming at me here? Um, All right. <laughs> how did you know my story? That was, that's my uh, conversion story right there. <laughs> that's right. No, no, we, we definitely are not. Um, 
talking about that. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about John 3. We're talking about this being born again, this idea that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and that the belief in Jesus Christ, his death, his uh, life, death, um, burial, and his rising again, um, what it means for us that 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 we are no longer under the wrath of God. That's that's what we mean. Obviously, we can go deeper into that explanation, but it's it's someone who is identified with Christ completely, both from the the punishment that he received on the cross, as well as his ascension um, to be on the right hand of God. Right, right. Yeah, amen. Well, it's interesting because we just had a wonderful time uh, two weeks ago and yesterday as well, just looking at what is called the new birth uh, and just been dissecting John chapter three. And it's just so rich and so deep. Uh, I know that I really didn't truly understand all the theological richness of the new birth, even when I experienced the new birth, uh, looking at the scripture now, I mean, it is just really an amazing thing. Um, I knew very little at the time I was born again. And now just looking at the reality of what God did, it's like, there's just volumes of depth there that just awes my own soul. Well, I'm glad you know a little bit more. I still know very little. Um, <laughs> um, but but like I said, I, it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, I think you know, reading devotionally, reading for pleasure. But there, but I think there's something to be said for studying the Word of God, and I think studying encompasses all of those things, right? Because it forces you to go a little bit deeper. And and I think this is what we're going to try to do today: is try to go a little bit deeper. And I think. Um, I think there's a lot of people who are believers, who are truly saved, truly been born again, and they they just don't think too deeply about what it means to be saved. They don't they don't really think about salvation. They think of it as something that they've they've uh, experienced, and now they need to work on something else. And and and, yes. we, and and I think the the one thing we do know is we never leave that. That's that's the foundational part that's supposed to be reminded and refreshed every single day. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was Paul Washer who said m- many people treat salvation like it's a flu shot. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, 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 I got that shot. Now I'm going to go on to something deeper, as you just said. But uh, what's deeper than the gospel? Um, um, you could fill in the blank there. I'm just waiting. Uh, you're going to wait a long time. <laughs> That's right. There's there's nothing deeper than the gospel. I mean, it is past, present, and future. Uh, it is what saves me, what keeps me saved, and what brings me all the way home uh, one day in heaven. And as we were looking at John chapter 3, you know, it's interesting because this was a, the man that approached Jesus was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was one of the Sanhedrin. Um, well, he was one of the Pharisees. I think there were about 6,000 of them at the time. Mm-hmm. But he was in the elite Navy SEAL class called the Sanhedrin, which were 72 men. And um, he was even among that group. He was the cream of the cream of the crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was called a teacher of Israel. And he he met Jesus. He came to Jesus by night. Um, you know, so he came, you know, like all Jewish ninja-like here. And, you know, he asked Jesus the question and he caused Jesus a man come from God or a rabbi come from God. And what I find very interesting about that is that he was a little off when he said, we know that you are a teacher come from God because this, he wasn't a teacher come from God, but rather he was God come to teach. 
you see, interpretation is very important, isn't it? I mean, just the way that that is said and understood in a, in a, in the realistic way. Um, Nicodemus had the wrong interpretation of who Christ was, even at the initial conversation he was having with him. Definitely, definitely, and and I think every interaction that was had by uh, men was was always misapplied, and you know, and it's understandable because you know he's the creator of the universe and. How can you properly address him? Even even if you just read the Bible back to him, you still wouldn't be able to capture the majesty of God. And, and I think one of the reasons why we're discussing this is primarily the fact that usually when someone asks this question, the real question is, "Am I saved?" Right. You know, right. not you know. It's like, should I be worried? Is there something happening or something that you see in me that should concern me? Um, and one of the things is that I that that I that I'm when I when I know that's the root of it that actually encourages me um, because most unbelievers are not really thinking about this question. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true, and and and, and I like what he says here. Um, it says Jesus answered him, but when you look at the verses before, what's interesting when it says Jesus answered him, we don't see any question that's been asked. <laughs> So, like, what question is Jesus answering? Because we don't have a question for him to answer. Yeah, I think I think it's just confirming that, hey, this man that I think is a man is beyond me, right? He's he's the real deal. Yeah, yeah, and and so like, but Nicodemus, I mean, he he, this guy's this guy knows the law. I mean, he knows the word of God. He knows about the law and the prophets. I mean, this is this is. This is this guy's a walking Bible. I mean, this was the kind of guy that knows chapter and verse, and it just rolls off his tongue. Uh, when the Jehovah's Witnesses would would come to his door, he, he didn't have to search through the Bible. I mean, he was a walking Bible, if you will. But as much as he knew, right, he still did not know if he was saved or not. He still did not know the reality of the new birth. And as religious as he was. This man still needed to be born again. And it just goes to show us somebody could be very religious. They could even know the Bible backward and forward and still be lost and not understand the message of being born again in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said, unless one is born again, he he can't even see the kingdom. Well, Pastor Phil, so like that's what I'm saying. Well, that's the real question, right? Or, or one of the or the questions we need to answer before we get too deep in it. So, for a man like 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 Nicodemus, who was one of the six thousand, and then he was the creme de la creme of the seventy two, and he was of the seventy two, he was one above those those people. Um, if if that kind of man with that kind of authority, that kind of brain, that kind of influence, that kind of a life, had to sneak in darkness to go ask a question of of of, of a man that he respected. How, what 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 would you, advice as a pastor would you give a believer or someone just asking this question about salvation? Like what what are some things that they should be looking for to say, okay, hey, you know, I have some confidence here. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. Well, the first thing is somebody has to actually understand what salvation is, right? right. Versus what it's not. Uh, many people believe that salvation is someone who um, a, a pastor said, "All right, who wants to be saved? Everybody, close your close your eyes, bow your head. All right, lift up your pinky. I see that pinky. I see that pinky. Okay, now all those that raise their pinky, come forward. Now I don't know why he had everybody close his eyes if he's just going to tell them all to come forward. <laughs> you know, with everybody's eyes open. So, so they can so they can walk by faith, Phil. That, that's, that's right. You know, um, 
they, they close their eyes so they can feel comfortable and, mm. and, you know, be like Nicodemus coming without anybody knowing about it. But then he calls them up anyway. Mm. And then he tells them, repeat after me. And they parrot the words. And then they normally sign the card and boom, you know, they're greeted into the kingdom of God. And now uh, apparently then God picks up his proverbial pen and writes their name in the Lamb's Book of Life at that moment. And that's what I learned. And now I've learned that that was false. That That's not how God operates. Now, 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 um, Pastor Phil, so, but it is possible that yes. someone could not be saved from that process, but could be saved right. despite that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just want to make sure that was clear. That's very clear. I couldn't agree more. Right. So th- that formula is not what saves someone, although someone could be saved in spite of that. It was the, t- for me and, and anybody else who's went through that process who got us saved, it wasn't because of the process. It was because of the born again experiences because of what God did and sowed in the heart, not because of what man did, not because a card was signed and words were repeated. It's because of what happened within a man or woman who has been born again. It was a work of God. It was a supernatural, miraculous work of God and not a work of man, not at all. Well, 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 I think we both agree that that process, like you said, is not what does it, right? Correct. Now, should should we feel something? Should should everything be the same? But now we just Christians. I mean, I I know this is a tough you know to kind of button down, but I think these are the questions people ask. Like, should they feel different? Should they be happy all the time? Should they be sad? I mean, do they stop sinning? I think First John deals with that. I, you know, I I uh, was sure. studying a little bit of that before we we started talking, but. You, you know, these are the things I think we want to kind of button down, even though I think they're really difficult and they, they, they probably do kind of vary with each person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me answer the question in this way. Um, down the road here in John chapter three, when Jesus was uh, still speaking, he, he spoke about uh, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And many people look at that, especially those in the one is Pentecostal movement as water baptism. But uh, nothing could be further f- from <laughs> from the truth uh, on that one. That, that has nothing to do actually with water baptism, because if we look in, I believe it's Ezekiel 36 verses 24 and uh, 26. Here's what he says. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey. Uh, Hear what he says. Uh, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. Um, That is something that... Nicodemus would have understood. I mean, he would have comprehended um, what Ezekiel wrote concerning the new birth. And so God removes a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. And when the heart transplant takes place, if you will, yes, something within us changes. We begin to have a new heart with new desires. And we begin, we begin to love things we hated. So we begin to love the God that we hated, to love the scriptures that we despised, uh, uh, to love the people of God, which you know we didn't love before. And we begin to hate the sin that we once loved. And we begin to love the God and adore and delight in the very God that we rebelled against. And we did everything possible to live a rebellious life because we had a heart that was 
that was spewing rebellion. And now we have a heart that could spew worship unto God. So yes, there absolutely is a change. Many people say, I have a new relationship with God, but I think we have to ask the same question. Do we have a new relationship with sin? Uh, exactly. A perfect point. Just to piggyback what you were about what you were saying um, in John 3, which is a great chapter, great book, um, is the, the, the premise of that too, right? One of the major points was that Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus with all his well, all his knowledge, you know, his prestige, that without the Spirit of God, what he would he could not understand, he would not get this, right? And so another change is you 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 begin to have an understanding of the gospel, like not an intellectual, but you kind of it makes sense, right? Just like you talk about the relationship with sin, you really understand what sin is. You understand what the 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 sacrifice was that Jesus gave, right? It's it's not an intellectual, you know, hey, that's not interested. This happened two thousand years ago. So, for example, and and this maybe just me personally, it's, it's very hard for me to to watch a scene, even if it's a poor depiction of Jesus walking with that cross. Like I, I get emotional, not because it's a it's a movie, and not because it's um a fictional character, but I, I it, it 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 becomes real to me that this the Son of God died because of the sins that I commit daily. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and here in John 3 when Jesus says uh unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. What's interesting is that word again here uh can either mean again like we understand, you know, somebody does something again a second time or it can also mean from above. And that that really blew my mind. Because down in verse 31, uh, here's what Jesus says uh, concerning that. Uh, It says, he who came from above is above all. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. And so we know Christ, he came from above. There's a book that's written, from heaven he came and sought her. In other words, he left his throne and came to earth to die for a bride. And there's no way that that bride will ever leave him. And there's no way he's going to lose his bride. And no one's going to snatch his bride away from him. In other words, no one can be lost who he has found. Now, are there some verses that you've heard commonly used uh, as to someone alleging that salvation can be lost? Because I have one, but uh, I'll, I'll let you go first. Uh, I mean, I, I don't kind of entertain those uh, conversations, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know there's not thing specific, but they just kind of uh, allude to like First Corinthians and you know the the term back backsliding, or they'll go to Old Testament verses and talk about how you know the uh, God is always referencing that the, they were backsliding and they're stepping back. Revelation where he talks about. Um, um, coming back to your first love, and you know the implication is that somehow there's this precarious balance where they're losing it, you know, and, and God's warning them to come back. So, so those are the verses that they're loosely used, I think. Okay, I, all right. I, I'm going to give you a scenario. I want you to respond to this one. A pastor uh, from a church that I went to for many, many years said, um, "No one can snatch us from Jesus's hand, but like the prodigal son, we can run away from home." Okay, Glenn, go. What do you think about that? 
Is it because I'm Jamaican? Is this a is this a, uh, <laughs> is, this a is this a running metaphor? Um, That's right. What's that? What's his name? Eugene Bolt or what's his Usain, name? Usain. Usain. Sorry. Jamaican. You got to get the. You got to throw I'm something a little different in there. Still working on my pots while I got a I, long way to go. I would disagree um, with with that assessment. Uh, you know, once again, we we just finished a couple um, podcasts on the sovereignty of God. Right. The he's a king. He, you know, and again, and once again, it can get, be synonymous or be mixed up with his omnipotence. <laughs> I don't know. There's near a scripture that says, you know, there's no way to run from God. Like he's wherever, wherever you can think of and wherever you can go, he's in the midst of it. Psalm 139. Yeah. David said, where, you know, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can Amen. I go from your presence? Even if I make my bed in hell, you are there. So so uh, so I guess that uh, that pastor didn't know that verse. No, I think he messed that one up because I just preached on this passage. Actually, I preached a sermon called "The Prodigal God." Um, Great from, sermon. <laughs> I hope so. Um, <laughs> that uh, in most people call it the prodigal son, right? And there is a sense in when he's he's a prodigal, and there is a sense in which God is a prodigal. And you're gonna have to listen to the sermon to hear uh, why I use the title, the prodigal God. There's a there's a positive and a negative use of that term, guys. Just to let you know. There you go. There you go. But the the parable is really about two sons. It's not about one. It's about two sons that were lost. And one, in one sense, were like a lot of Nicodemus's boys. Uh, the people that constantly received a tongue lashing from Jesus was which group again? Pharisees. Right. Pharisees, right? Pharisees, the Sadducees. Um, and so, uh, Notice that the older brother, he was complaining, complaining, and he was lost. And the other one was a sinner, too. He, he was lost. It wasn't that uh, we're to interpret that, that that he was a son that was saved, and then he went and lost his salvation, and then he came back, and now he got saved again. And I was so frustrated in Bible college. I remember I asked my theology professor, how is it that someone could be saved and then lost again, and then saved again, and then lost again. And this could happen several times, you know, in a month or, you know, uh, over a year. And I called it yo-yo Christianity because I was so frustrated. And I asked, when does it stick? Like, when does someone get saved and stay saved? On the deathbed. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, when they put themselves in a bubble like Michael Jackson did, right? So they yeah. can't, like, interact with the world. And actually... uh from church history, there was this group of people called the Pillar Saints. Have you ever heard of them? But I'm going to find out. You're, you're about to find out. Buckle up. <laughs> the Pillar Saints were a group of people that did not want to be worldly and did not want to be influenced by the world. And so they would climb up on a pillar and live there. And people would throw food up to them. And I guess they relieved themselves bathroom-wise from the pillar when it was night or whatever. But I mean, they were trying to get away from the world. And the higher the pillar went, the more godly or the more holy the person assumed to be. Uh, I, I don't believe that that's how salvation works, that they try to get so far away from the world so that they would not lose their salvation. So, so if that was true, then Manhattan skyline would be all saints. Absolutely. Then, you know, then we have to snuggle up next to King Kong because he was on top of the Empire State Building. Right. So that we can you know, we'll be untouchable by the world. I, I hear that. That's true. But here's what bugs me, Glenn. It makes God sound so flippant that he cannot hold on to that which is his. God's sovereignty, God's omnipotence. So, I mean, if God saves someone, 
in his power. Can't he keep that one in his power? It depends on whether it's lowercase g god or or the real god. Ah, good catch, good catch. Well, we're focusing on the capital G, the the, the scriptural god, uh, not all these other uh, bootleg gods that are out there. Well, well, one one lowercase god that 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 I think is probably on everyone's mind now is the god free will, and I think uh, that's the argument. Okay, all right. So let's go there. Free will. Um, many people, when they use the term free will, there's one major thing that they don't do. And this is back to apologetics 101. Uh, they don't define their terms. So if free will is I can walk into Carvel and order whatever ice cream flavor I want, then men have free will. But if, uh, if free will is something that is restrained by our nature, uh, then that's something entirely different because free will is the ability to make choices without external coercion. And so um, there's the compatible, the compatibilist view and the libertarian view. And so the biblical view is that man is constrained by their nature. In other words, any man, sinner or saint can walk in a Carvel or Baskin Robbins and order whatever flavor ice cream that they want to. But how can man until God gives him a new heart, turn to God in repentance. How is that possible? I don't. I don't. I don't think that's possible. That, that's the answer, right? It's not. It's it's impossible, right? Because I think it was Peter who asked in the Gospels, "Then who can be saved?" And Jesus said, "What is impossible with man is possible with God." And I think we talked about this in the previous po- podcast. It's been so many now. I can't. I can't number it. But that you know. The freest person, the only person who actually has free will is God himself because he has nothing that's encumbering him, nothing that that he has to answer to. There's nothing that he does that is like in response to anyone else. He just does what he pleases. Scripture literally says the God who does what he pleases. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 115 verse 3. Yeah. He does what he pleases. No, no, I'm sorry to cut you one more time, but just couldn't let this pass. In the age of COVID, I think people need to rethink free will. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's so funny because uh, so many people had had the free will, and they said, "Let's get rid of the plastic straws, and then let's put on plastic gloves." <laughs> what <laughs> happened? What happened? And then we're going to kill the environment. I'm pretty sure they they have the plastic mask over their face now too. That's right. That's right. Sit. That we call that situational ethics. But see, it doesn't work like that in the economy of God. It's not that. Oh, I could decide for salvation, and I could decide to lose it. Uh, you're not the one in control of being justified before God. He's in control of being justified. Right. He's the one that gives you a new heart. And again, back in John chapter three, Jesus said, "The wind blows where it pleases." I mean, you don't decide to to whip the wind up from the east and blow your direction. Uh, you you don't have the power to do that, nor do you have the power to make the wind of salvation blow upon you, and you don't have the power to blow it away from you. When 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 we when we were at war with God, when we when we were sinners, God came came towards us. That scripture literally says that. And once again, if you're not being biblical and you're just making up what you feel, how do you argue against scripture that says when we were at war? when we had enmity with him, when we were haters of God, he loved us and drew us near. But once he does that, all of a sudden we can, you know, ah, I like I like sin. Let me go back to that. It doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? Because we didn't choose him to begin with. 
That's the one it, we didn't choose him, and we can't choose not. Well, we definitely did not choose him. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, John six forty four. To use one of the words that you use, the word "draw," Jesus said, "No man can come to me except the Father, which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up." At the last day. I mean, that seems like an open and shut case with just that verse alone. No one could come to me. There's not a man or woman on the face of the earth that could come to me. And that word is key. The word accept. Uh, it's it's an exclusive word. It, it's it it puts it's put walls up that you can't you can't jump over that word. Uh, that word is in your face, uh, and and there's no way you can just skirt by that. And the word draw is the same word that's used to draw the fish into the net. So was it the fish's will to swim over there? Well, God caused the fish to swim over, but it was the will of Peter and the fishermen to throw the net down and to pull it up. And they were being drawn against their will because fish, as far as I know, they like to stay in the water, right? That's right. I don't think they breathe too well, uh, you know, when they're in the boat. You know what? My my extensive uh, knowledge of fishing tells me that's true. Right. And so he drew us, right? He changed our will. He drew us against the, the old will that we had and he gave us a new will. And he pulled us in the evangelistic net. And then he says, I will raise him up on the last day. And it just speaks of what's called the perseverance of the saints, that if he draws you in, he's going to raise you up on the last day. There's no way that you could lose your salvation. Uh, and well, here's a, here's another um, man that people think lost their salvation. Uh, one of Jesus's own disciples. Did Judas lose his salvation? What do you think, Glenn? Uh, was he saved to begin with? <laughs> I don't think so, because at the Last Supper, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And all the disciples, one by one, said, Lord, is it I? And that's the word curious. Uh, they submitted to him as their master. But Judas answered differently. He said, Rabbi, is it me? What does Rabbi mean again? Uh, I believe he's a teacher. Yes. And that's exactly what Nicodemus called Jesus, Rabbi, because he saw him as a teacher come from God. Again, he didn't see him as God come to teach. And so we know that Jesus even spoke about Judas in his high priestly prayer, prayer in John 17. He said, none of I lost, not one that you've given me, except the son of perdition, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now, now I guess the new age interpretation of that is that uh, Judas lost himself. I, I mean, because that's clear. I saw, I think without with, with no jest, Look, there are some there are some scriptures that we can kind of it, maybe it means this, you know. Okay, contextual. These are clear. That this is no doubt what that meant. You have to avoid all of these verses. You literally just ignore what Jesus said for you to believe that somehow we have some power or control. And 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 and, and what was the epithet that he said that 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 it was better that he had not been born, right? It, yes. it, it, it wasn't, well, he made the wrong choice. I wish he had chosen differently, right? It, 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 this is like the perfect example of prophecy being fulfilled, and it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because, again, what we see is, he says, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. So there was a, a remnant of people that 
the father gave to the son. He gave a bride to his son. And he said, I, I've guarded them. Uh, he guarded his bride. If anybody came to snatch the bride, uh, Jesus steps up in, in the way. Uh, that's exactly what shepherds did. Um, when a lion or a bear or a wolf came to uh, attack the sheep, uh, they would have to mess with the shepherd. And so he says, I've guarded them. Now, if Jesus is guarding you. How can someone be lost? I, I just don't see it. it Some, someone once said, you're going to like this one, Glenn. Someone said, in order for someone to lose their salvation, the devil would have to run through the blood of Jesus and grab you and somehow take you out of that. And now we have a devil covered with the blood of Jesus. Now we got a saved devil. And now we got a bigger problem. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> It, it goes back to what you said earlier. It's a, it's a very low opinion of God, a very low opinion of Jesus. And it's, it's like, if, if your Savior, if the God, Big G, is not capable of, of, of persevering you, of holding you, of maintaining this, then he didn't have the power to save you in the first place. Absolutely. Jesus said, I've guarded them, and none of them has been lost, except. There's a word except again, which we saw in John 6.44. No one could come to me except. We have to look at the accepts, and they're very, very important, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But I want to look at this other passage, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. And Pastor, this is, Pastor Phil, that is cheating. Come on, man. You know, that, <laughs> you know that's one of those powerful sections right there. I know, I know. <laughs> So this is called the golden chain of redemption, especially in verse 30. He says, uh, well, I want to start at verse 28. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not some things, but all things. For those who are called according to his purpose. You got to be called. You can't call yourself. See, it's not up to man's decision. For those whom he foreknew. Let me just pause right there. Many people think for no is to look down the corridors of time. In other words, to know ahead of time. But just like it says in Genesis that Adam knew his wife Eve and Abel was born and Cain was born. And it said that Joseph did not know her being Mary until the child had been weaned. So the knowledge was an intimate knowledge. So to foreknow actually means to forelove. So let me read it like that. For those whom he foreloved, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, when I think of the word conform, I think of Plato or clay, or modeling clay, whatever. And you have a picture and you try to make the clay and conform it to that. And here he's saying, all those that he foreloved and predestined, he did so to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And here again, firstborn is not Glenn was born first and then his sister was born second and so on and so forth. Firstborn is the one with preeminence, the one who gets everything from the head, from the father. And so to be the firstborn was to have the equal power and authority of the Father. And where is Jesus seated, by the way? I, I, my mind is escaping me right now. On the right hand of the Father. Right. The and position of power. The position of power and the position of honor, because that's exactly where Lazarus sat in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And that is exactly where John sat at the Last Supper. It says his head was on Jesus's bosom or Jesus's breast. Uh, he had the seat of honor. And so Jesus has the seat of honor. 
it, it just clearly screams of the deity of Christ. And he continues, here's the golden chain of redemption. And those whom he predestined, referencing uh, two verses back, he also called. There it is again, the calling. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, what does it mean to be justified? To be made right. To be made right. And this is the verse that unlocked Luther's mind. You know, Luther hated the righteousness of God. I mean, he despised it because he couldn't measure up to it. I mean, he was fighting with himself. He was he was doing what many of the other priests did. You know, they they would sleep on a, on a cold slab of, of, of kind of a, a rocky cement type of, of flooring, uh, 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 whip themselves and, and just, you know, really a works righteousness. And Luther read the just shall live by faith and his mind was unlocked. But what's interesting is that Luther came to that conclusion by the power of God, by the calling of God. Right. Two years after he nailed the 95 theses going against the Roman Catholic establishment at the time. I mean, what do you think about that? He wasn't saved at the time that he banged the nail in the door. Yeah, he was called. God was working on his heart. And and that process can be long or can be short, you know, but God, once again, the sovereign power of God, he, he will not be deterred from from whatever he wills. I think I think it's interesting that what you were talking about, the image of his son, the firstborn of, of among among brothers, is that then we have to think of Jesus as our example, the perfect example. And to say that we can lose our salvation would imply that Jesus can somehow fall from grace, that he can somehow be put back into the, the tomb again. No, he was risen. Um, one verse that I think about, um, I think to piggyback on this, is John 19, 30, where he says, Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar. He said it was finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is done. It is finished. It's There's nothing else to be done. Jesus did everything. He did all of the work. There's, there, there's nothing else that we can add to that to make it richer or more glorious or more wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, and I love that it is finished because it's the Greek word to telestai, which means paid in full. Mm -hmm. And it was a term used that when you had a, you had to pay your debt, they would stamp on the receipt to telestai paid in full. So if Christ paid in full for his bride and he now, now that his bride is his, how can that bride be lost? And I think that this verse in Romans eight thirty says that they can't be because look, it says those he, whom he called, he justified. So then he pronounced them to be legally clean. They're they're now they're faultless. In no, no, but, but but Pastor Phil, uh -oh. as with free will, uh oh, you can tell the Creator, the Judge of the universe. Nah, you're wrong. No, that doesn't work like that because it I, says I don't I don't feel clean. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> It'll go away, you know. Uh, but it says he he justified them. He, they didn't. It doesn't say that they justified themselves. And it says those whom he justified them, he also glorified. And so salvation is seen as a past, present, and future. Justification in the past, uh, counting me um, as if I have the same exact righteousness as Christ himself. That God looks at me and he sees Christ. He, he judges me just as clean as he judges his own son, which blows my mind away because I look in the mirror and I go, there's no way I'm as clean as Jesus. There's no way. Absolutely not. I said this. I thought that I did this. I forgot to do this. I didn't, I didn't feel like doing 
you know, this, which I should have done and, and all the things I could think of about myself and about my lack of being Christ-like. God still looks at me as he looks at his own son. Oh, and, but let me just mention this one other thing. Notice all those he justifies, he glorifies. So in other words, if he's justified you with no one dropping out, he glorifies you. He, he brings you all the way home. How can you be like, where is the in-between to be lost between justification and glorification? And someone might say in sanctification, which is the middle term that's not mentioned there, but it's all throughout the scriptures. And that is just someone becoming more like Christ throughout their life as they spend more time and as they grow in grace and Christ likeness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I definitely agree. And and as the wordsmith, the sentence is structured in a way that it's not it's not like a hurdle. And some people fall off at the calling, you know. Some people fall off, you know, at the justification. Yeah, some people fall off the glory. No, every single person that God has foreknown, foreloved, is going to progress in the way that He's prescribed it. So we kind of touched on it a little bit, Phil. Um, this idea that God perseveres us, you know, what is the perseverance of the saints? What does it mean that God is going to, you know, keep us? I mean, once again, I know a free will, I know I'm I'm saying it and I'm kind of, you know, doing the other side, but I've also struggled with this, this free will. Does that mean as a believer that we're just automatons and we do, we can't think for ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. So the perseverance of the saints should perhaps better be said, the perseverance of the spirit in the saints, because Mm. he is the one that perseveres you. He is the one that carries you through and carries you on. It's not that you just pick yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps. Yes. God's not going to read the Bible for you. He's not going to, uh, he's not going to pray, um, in the sense that, uh, you need to pray and he's not going to do it for you. We know that Christ oh, prays oh. for us and we know the Holy Spirit prays through us, but um, it harkens back to what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. He, Cause Spurgeon hesitated to become a believer uh-huh. because he was not sure he can remain faithful to the end. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he saw others proverbially fall away, but here's what he said. He said, I long and prayed to find Christ because I knew that if I found him, he would not give me a temporary salvation such as some preach, but he would give me eternal life and I would never be lost. That was a bait. My soul could not resist. And he came to realize if he submitted to Christ, he he couldn't be lost. And he said, he will hold on to me forever. And it wasn't a matter of Spurgeon holding on to Jesus, it was a matter of Jesus holding on to Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. And if he's holding on to us, Glenn, he's going to bring us to the very end. Uh, he's going to persevere us right. all the way to the glorification. All those justified, they're all glorified. And so if God has saved you, he's given you a taste of heaven that one day will be fully realized. Mm. You're just, you're just getting a taste right now. You just got the diamond ring, but you didn't get the wedding band and, and, and the marriage yet. Uh, you're just awaiting uh, for what's coming to you. And it's going to be more than you could ever imagine. I mean, no eye has seen, no ear has heard uh, what things the Lord has in store for those who love him. Um, I mean, can you just imagine as far as what he's did in our own lives now? So his preserving grace means you could never be lost again because his grace doesn't just save us. It keeps us saved. And just as certain as 
it is to spend eternity in heaven, this very moment, as if we already spent 10,000 years with the rest of the saints who he's persevered worshiping together, him who is seated at the throne. We have a little foretaste of that even right now. Amen. Amen. But, but why Why do you think many people think that they can just, uh, I could lose my salvation? I mean, again, it just makes God sound so fickle, uh, almost like the Roman gods and the Greek gods and the Egyptian gods. It just makes God not sound like the God of Scripture because I just don't see any verses in Scripture that someone could be lost. Well, well, well I have a little bit of a gal. So, you know, I, I've always thought, obviously, there's some legitimate reasons to question. I've questioned. I'm sure you've questioned. But there are some cynical reasons to question. So one reason that comes to mind, because my heart is evil and I've thought these things is, okay. I don't really think I'm saved. I don't really think I'm in the kingdom of God. But I see these other guys doing bad things, and they seem like they took a time off, and they came back. So that means it's okay for me to continue doing this sin because, hey, it's there's there's backsliding, and, you know, and there's some people who were away for several years, and they came back. And it's a way to kind of justify the continuation of sins that you know— you shouldn't be doing. And it's kind of like, well, you know, there's a past, you know, first Corinthians, they did a lot of bad things and they were still believers. And it's kind of a one way of kind of, you know, excusing the the, the pattern, not struggling with, like you said, one of the things a believer knows is they, they fully start to understand what sin is and they hate it as much as God hates it to, to some respect. But this, this idea that you can lose and gain actually benefits you because you can say, hey, you know, this the, the fact that I don't hate sin to the extreme is okay. It's natural. That's that's okay as a Christian. And that's not really the truth. It's something we should be struggling against. Now, obviously, not perfectly and not every day, not in every, everything, right? But that's one cynical reason why that is prevalent. A second one I would say is they're they're truly not saved, you know? And I think that goes along with the first, but the idea is they're not saved. They don't, like we said, understand what salvation means. And so salvation is whatever they want it to be. And so they'll make up all of these things when it's clear what Scripture says about it. Yeah, yeah. And so what we have to do is we always have to start with Scripture, not start with experience. So if we start with man's experience, we'd say, okay, well, this guy looked like he was walking with Jesus now. And, you know, now, you know, look at him over here. Now, now he's incarcerated and... And he became a Muslim or whatever. He lost his salvation. Um, he became a Mormon or whatever it is. Uh, and so if we start with man, we're going to come up with the wrong answer because we're not necessarily called to interpret experiences. We're called to interpret scripture. So we always have to start with scripture, never with experience. And scripture informs us. And so if we're new creatures, I mean, if a butterfly was once a caterpillar, and the caterpillar became a butterfly. Wouldn't it be strange to say, I believe that a butterfly can lose their butterflyness and become a caterpillar? Like, would that seem a little odd? Pastor Phil, I'm not a scientist, um, but yeah, it does seem <laughs> odd. So now, how can we be new creatures, new creations in Christ, and all of a sudden, our identity changes from a saint back to one who is lost, from found to lost. I mean, I think it would be more probable that a butterfly can return to the image of a caterpillar than a Christian can return to being someone who's lost again. And somehow the heart of flesh was replaced again with the heart of stone, and they went back 
Now, that doesn't mean that a Christian can't sin. And that doesn't mean that a Christian has license to sin either, because that's the other thing. Well, if you can't lose your salvation, then you have a license to sin. No, Paul smacked anybody in the face who says that. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? Yeah, yeah. And I think the long short of it is, no, you can't lose your salvation. You cannot be saved in the first place and go to church and go to do all the things and put on all the show and still not truly be saved and then realize you're not saved and fall back into the world even deeper. Yeah, that's definitely possible. But for someone who's truly, what's he, what we said, John 3, born again, you can't, once again, if you can't birth yourself a second time from the womb, you can't put yourself back into the womb. Yeah. And I want to touch on something that you that you mentioned that uh, for all our listeners and for our listeners who know other professing believers uh, who think that people have lost their salvation, is it possible, and I think biblically it is, that there are many Judases around who were false converts. And I think if you read through the entire parable of Mark chapter 4, which is the only parable Jesus interprets, and in verse 13, he says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all the other parables or all the parables? In other words, the other parables of this kind, the sheep and the goats, good fish and the bad fish, the wise versions, the foolish versions, the good uh, and uh, what's the other one, the wheat and the tares, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So there, there was only one out of four here in whom the seed fell upon that was saved. It fell on, on the path. It was gobbled up. It fell on the rocky soil, which was, there, there was like a, a veneer of soil, right? But right underneath the soil, there was like a limestone. And so the roots would be, you know, uh, an inch deep. Right, right. <laughs> and so it couldn't go anywhere. And then the roots would grow upward, would scorch the plant, and it was done. And then we have the ones that came up um, among the weeds and it was choked. But only the one who bore fruit was the one who was saved. And I think that many people are believing that those that fell on the rocky path and those that fell among the thorns were Christians that lost their salvation. Well, Jesus would completely disagree with you if you hold that view. And this is why, because as we look in Matthew 7, 21 and 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he that does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And by the way, that's a term of intimacy. Did we not prophesy in your name? So this attacks even preachers because who's prophesying people that preach and cast out demons in your name. Perhaps even Judas cast out demons, but that didn't mean Judas was saved because the Lord spoke through a donkey once too. They mean the donkey was saved and do many mighty works in your name. Now here's, here's like the punchline Then I will declare to them. So the whole time, the man who was speaking was doing all the talking, right? Lord, Lord, he's saying all these things. Now Jesus speaks up and I will declare to them. I never knew you notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say I once knew you when you fell away. We once had a relationship, but no more. I knew you at one time, but you ran off. Uh, you know, uh, with someone else. You ran after other gods. It doesn't say any of that. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers, plural, of lawlessness. And so he never knew them. And again, knowledge is the intimacy. Like Adam knew his wife. There was ne there was never an intimacy because that person was never considered the bride of Christ, which is why he never knew them because Christ's bride is not going to live as a worker of iniquity. Yeah. And I, I think that's pretty clear. 
pretty straightforward and you know my my son who's seven could understand it i think it's i think i think we got to focus on the the clear obvious scripture and, and use that as our guide rather than coming up with our theories so in looking can a christian lose their salvation i mean what do you think after all the scriptures that you just heard one verse after another after another uh of course there's many other objections that people may make but i think that any objection that people may make they will either make based on experience or through twisting scripture. Now, all men could twist scripture, even on ourselves, but I, I don't believe that there was any scripture twisting going on here. Um, and if you believe that there was, then please contact us and uh, bring any correction that you truly believe is scriptural and bring us the correct scriptural interpretation. But I don't think you're going to get too far on that one because we've studied these things and we've looked them up and we've done our due diligence and done our homework on these things. And again, I believe if you do that, you'll only find yourself fighting against God himself because this is God's word and we believe God's word has been rightly divided. And perhaps you're not born again and you think that you've been saved and lost and saved and lost. Perhaps you've never been saved in the first place. You've never backslid because you've never slid forward in true salvation. And if that's you, then today repent of your sin and put your full trust in Christ uh, alone for your salvation because there's no other way to be saved. And if you're someone, you, you know, you seem to wax and wane, you sin at times, and you think, man, you know, if I sin this one time, I'm going to lose their salvation. Uh, you're not serving a fickle God, unless you're serving the wrong God. Uh, serve the God of Scripture. Uh, none that are given to him will he lose, N- not one. And then finally, if you know someone, perhaps, who thinks that they're saved, but they're acting like they're not saved their whole life, uh, chances are, uh, they too, they're, they're lost. And if you go through the parable of the four soils, I think you'll see that person's name there. Thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener-supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishyministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.